and welcome to Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond, hosted by Mark Kaler. My name is Penka Jane, podcast deckhand and longtime listener. We'd thank you to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Here's today's catch. Hello guys and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond. I am once again your host Mark Kaler. Been away from the mic for a while due to this COVID-19 uh, deal that we've been going through, but uh, we're returning today uh, up in Kotzebue, Alaska with Captain John Ray. John, how are you today? I'm good. Doing good. Captain, for various reasons, pilot, some people would call it a bush pilot up here in Kotzebue, Alaska, in the Arctic Circle, we'll add, and also of your, your vessel, the Stingray. So where were you born and what brought you into the commercial fishing industry or, or where did you get the values that brought you into it? Wow, well, it's all like everybody else's story, long story. You know, I, I was born in Minnesota, and uh, where most of my relatives are there, I guess we were, me and my brothers, we were raised on a uh, mink ranch to begin with, and uh, back in the 50s, until the uh, distemper epidemic hit, pretty much, and then Dad moved to the mink out to the west coast to Puget Sound and that's where I fell in love with the water. Um, I believe I was like third grade, third or fourth grade and uh, for you know on the during our summers mom and dad worked and us kids were pretty much left alone and to work on the water, to run around on the water, you know, back and forth on Hood Canal was just uh, a kid's paradise, you know, eating, eating raw clams and oysters every day was just, it was just, it was a dream, you know, it was a dream come true. So uh, that's where it all started. And then dad had picked up a little boat, we'd go, oyster hunting on the weekends and uh, and uh, that's where it all started for me. What part of the Puget Sound? Uh, Hoodsport. Hoodsport and then you know we'd catch the tides on inner tube. We'd sit on inner tubes and float the float the tides. So we'd float all the way down which was about five miles down to Lilywap and we could make it back on the next tide before dad would get off work. <laughs> and uh, yeah it was pretty wild and we'd have to be back before dad found out because that'd be the end of the inner tubes oh yeah but uh yeah and then he he worked for the forest service and so on a lot of the weekends we would go up to the the lookout towers that they had um up on the hama hama and uh near quillacine i guess and uh we'd get to spend a night in a in a lookout tower quite an adventure for a kid. Now was this because he was working and took you guys with him or it was uh, extracurricular just well, to get you out in nature? Yeah he was fire control officer for the Forest Service and so he had his his duties was summertime was to watch over the forest make sure that the burns weren't getting out of hand because he controlled all the burns and on the weekends, he still wanted to keep track of them, so he would take us kids with him, and uh, 
course, we couldn't venture very far away, you know, but he'd let us take our fishing rods with us. And we'd hit all the streams, you know, that other kids couldn't hit because some of that land was locked up. And, uh, you know, we, we, and there was, I had five brothers, so, that, you know, we were like a little tribe running around Jeez. there. It was, it was fun. It was, it was a lot of fun growing up where, where we did. Then later on, he, he transferred to Oregon and, uh, he took a, a job with, uh, um, the Mount Hood district. And then we, we lived there for a couple of years. And then, uh, by then I was getting out of high school and I ended up on the east side of the mountain there and ranching and, and, uh, working for farmers up until the time I went, pretty much to the time I went to college. Mm-hmm. So, in short, you know, that, that's, uh, I had, I had a, I had a real adventurous life because I was able to get out in the country like most kids couldn't, you know. It's, Dad took us, to, you know, to all the extreme places, you know. All the burns that, uh, that the Forest Service did were people couldn't get up to, you know, because the roads were blocked and stuff. And, and we hiked the Cascade Range. I don't know how many times I hiked the, the High Cascade Mountain Trail, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was just a passion that I had, you know, it was always being outdoors. And I'd take my, do my dog with me, Dad would drop me off, you know, t sometimes 10 miles from home. The first time we did it, we just looked at a map and he said, well, I'll drop you off here and you'll be able to walk home, you know, by the time, by the time I'm off work. Well, it was good thinking, but it was wrong because the trail, even though it was 10 miles as a crow flies, the trail was like 30, 35 miles. Oh. So me and Bouncer, my dog, we spent the night up on the mountain <laughs> and of course the whole Forest Service. How old, how old were you? I was probably, at that time, I was probably 15 or 16, 15, I think. And then the five boys, where were you at in that? I was a third. I was a th you sure he wasn't just trying to get rid of you? <laughs> Makes you wonder sometimes. <laughs> Makes you wonder sometimes. Yeah, some of the places, some of the, not places, some of the situations I got into was, was uh, not easy for not easy for any kid, I don't think, you know. It, uh, you learn to find logs to cross some of the rivers, you know, like the, up there where we were, it was a Sandy River, the Upper Sandy River and the, and the Zigzag River. And uh, those are high mountain, high mountain fast running rivers. And uh, I, uh, and my older brothers, we, we were all, we were, Probably too too much adventurous than we should have been, you know. It was, we did things that you, I don't think you know kids should have been doing. I wouldn't let my kids do that. Do you think that's what drove you to end up how you are today? Because it it sounds to me when you're explaining your childhood <laughs> that it's much how I view you today. I still think you're after that adventure. My wife thinks so. <laughs> and my kids think so you know some of the things uh, I, you know even 
I even wonder myself, you know, some of the places I've gone on snow machine, I've done it by myself. You know, I was kind of a, I, I enjoy being with people, but I enjoy being alone, doing things alone. And, uh, you know, my trap line round trip was, was probably near 100, 190 miles round trip. So it's, you know, that's close to 100 miles one way, close to 100 miles the other way coming back and uh, I had two trails that I would run and I was taking my my oldest son with me sometimes when he was six and uh, makes me wonder why I did it sometimes you know I just wanted him to experience some of the things that I wanted to experience and you ever kick him off the snowmobile 10 miles from home and tell him to walk and you beat him <laughs> <laughs> no but he left me one time Really? Yeah, and then lucky it wasn't too far. He, he didn't go too far. He was only three years old. He was ptarmigan hunting with me. It was about, it was near 30 below zero. We were out just behind town here, and and I would always let him turn the snow machine around. And when I went to retrieve a ptarmigan one time, I heard the snow machine take off, and I looked back, and there he was going. And I, you know, you can't hear on a snow machine, but I was hollering at him, and, and I started running after him. and trying to run after him in that snow it was just you know you can't do it very far and uh, pretty soon about five minutes later here he comes driving back standing on the standing up looking over the windshield I'm coming dad I, I just turned I could hear him hollering boy I was mad he could see the look on my face and, just uh, turned around a mile I, I was the just road. I was just turning around dad I was just turning around boy yeah I, well, we got ahead of ourselves because uh, you're from Oregon to Alaska. That's quite a step. Yeah. Yeah. Oregon to Alaska, and then and then uh, went to college. Studied radiology and welding, non-destructive testing. You know, it's during the pipeline era. So uh, I wanted to get involved with the with the inspection of the pipeline or working on the pipeline, you know, for whatever it's worth. And, and uh, that was the route that I took. And then from there, I, in, I, I traveled a lot all over Alaska. And uh, um, ended up meeting a girl in Unicleet on the west coast of Alaska. And then from there, I, you know, from just going over there and I had also had a couple good friends there and they got me involved in fishing building boats and fishing and uh, and then that you know that, that just brought back my old passion you know being on the water and uh, and to this day that's what I'm doing and I've got no regrets I, I've done well on the water I've, I've I got into herring when the herring industry was young and and very profitable it was it was a lot of fun a lot of fast money um, you know big learning experience too being on the water and uh, you know you hit some big you hit some big surf out there and stuff I wasn't used to but you learn you learn real quick and and once you learn it 
it's just in your blood you know you, you can't get rid of it I don't, I don't you know you can't just drop an anchor and do something else you know it's all said in your life and uh, I invested a lot of money into it and a lot of time and then the end result is, is a lot of people start relying on you you know when you start building boats and and fixing boats and stuff you have the whole community you know coming to you when it's boating season it's just it's just no rest there's no the phone never dies it's just it's just ringing all the time and of course the wife don't like it <laughs> you know that's the one that's the worst part about it but, you know you get flack from her and but um and I feel bad about that too it took a lot of time away from my family you know but uh I've always looked at it like I created this I created this this life of style of mine and people here in in Cotsby relied on me I guess to uh, a lot to to fix their problems and I I just feel obligated to help them for some reason yeah, you've been here for quite a few years I mean close to 40, 40 years close to 40 years yeah see I moved up here in uh, It's harder for me to remember because I was working here. I was, before I moved here, that's how I got here. I really liked it up here. I liked the style, the lifestyle. I liked the, the terrain and, uh, but I, and I, and the people, you know, just, uh, they were always, they were always uh, good to me. You know, they always treated me real good. And, uh, so I, I, I think I moved up here in 82, 81 or 82. This is a pretty remote place in comparison to Oregon. And I, often I don't, <coughs> I don't try to use the, the knowledge that I already have of someone I'm interviewing. But the other day you were telling me, and this is important for our listeners, a lot of our I know what you're gonna say already. That how cold it is? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, a lot of our listeners uh, see Alaska as uh, as a well as it is. You know, we all see it as beautiful and and awesome because it is. But we all picture it in the summer. And uh, so, give us your your experience of that cold. It gets cold, and I know what you're driving at. I because I told you the other day that I don't like cold weather. <laughs> yeah. And. <laughs> And I, I'll, I'll take it back. I, it's not that I don't like cold weather. It's that I don't like getting cold. I don't like feeling cold. And my comeback to you was, because you thought it was pretty funny, was you dress for it. And, and uh, you know, you put on long johns or you put on insulated pants and, and coveralls. And, and if you can't dress for it, you're going to be miserable. And if you don't dress for it right when you're out there, you're, you're you know, you're not going to last long, you know. And so my theory is, you can you can put on as much clothes as you want because you can always take them off. You know, you get hot and everybody starts working out there and it starts getting hot, so you start shedding clothes and and uh, that's the way around it. When I took my kids out there. And my, you know, I got to tell you, my kids are some of the toughest 
you know they're as tough as any any kid up here and they they learn really quick you know from getting cold that there's no there's no uh, how do you, uh, you know I can't think of the right word right now but you just you just dress warm you dress as warm as you can you go out and as things start changing you just start you take a jacket off you take a vest off or, you know it's it's uh, the worst case scenario is is getting frostbite and you know even perishing out there because you weren't dressed properly and that's one of the first things you learn up here you know p kids that grow up here learn it you told me the other day quick if I get too cold I stop and I start a fire oh yeah and you were you were teaching your kids the same thing if you're that cold stop yeah, yeah when I carried my 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 kids with me on the on the snow machine even in the boat I mean if they get cold and we're, we're on the river or whatever and they get cold it's just it's nothing to be embarrassed about I mean even people that I've taken out it's nothing to get embarrassed about some people can take cold some people can't and uh, you know either you stop and stand by a fire or you you know stand by a heater or whatever but but it, it's no fun being cold and, uh, and I'm the you know, I'm the first to admit it. You know, when I'm get cold, I tell somebody, "Man, let's stop, warm up." You know, and it's. I had my kids on my snow machine. I just say, "If you get cold, you know, tap on the top, tap on my back, you know, and we'll stop." And and uh, you know, it's always a headache when you're trying to get some place. You know, we travel long distances just to camp is 30 miles, and when you're doing that in 20 below zero weather or even colder, you know, it's, it doesn't get as cold now as it did then. We don't see very many days, very few days, 30 below around here, and it used to be all winter long. And uh, but I'd always tell my kids just, just tap on my back, you know, and we'll stop and and warm up a little bit. And so you dress right, you know, do the smart thing when when you got to, and you know, don't try and show anybody how tough you are because you're going to end up with frostbite or you're going to end up with parts frozen that 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 don't work anymore and uh, that's you know nobody wants that you you mentioned something that hasn't been brought up before on our podcast and that is and you, you just mentioned it in passing um, going to camp um, a lot of folks don't know when you're up, up in a remote area like this what does that mean going to going going up to the camp <clears throat> that's uh, camp is my safe place it's my family's safe place because when we go up there there's no phone there's no uh, you know our cell phones very very seldom ever work up there I've got one that um, depending on the weather or whatever you know we can maybe get a, a text out occasionally <coughs> maybe one a day it seems like it, it's never a conversation you can hold and so when we go up there like I said, that's our safe place. Nobody's bothering us unless they happen to stop by. And and then, uh, you know, it's always fun to greet somebody at camp because they're usually cold or, you know, they got a little nip to them, you know. And, and so we, we warm up with a cup of coffee or a warm cup of soup, you know. And, and they're happy, you're happy, you have a good conversation, and they're on their way. And then you're, you're back just dealing with your family again, you know, one-on-one. -on -one and... 
and my wife and I, we go back there by ourselves, you know, we, especially springtime, we spend spring up there together by ourselves during breakup, waiting for the river ice to go out. And it's just our special time to fall in love again, you know. I mean, that's what we do is just, we're just like we're kids again, spending time alone. She probably drags you up there to lock you down. Because you're always running when you're in town. Sometimes, sometimes, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so camp is not a campfire. Can you describe your camp to us? Uh yeah. We we I, I built a log cabin up there. It's a two story, not very big. It's just it's probably about nine hundred square feet, two story, and uh, you know four hundred, four hundred down below and four hundred up above there. But uh, nothing nothing fancy. Just a just a log style cabin and uh, um, and we've got a smaller cabin that we built to stay in while we're working on the, the bigger place but uh, it's nice you know I, I bought a sawmill and uh, in, and uh, so I get to play around with that I, I love making lumber and stuff like that and, and uh, we can go ice fishing up there on the on the on the river, winter time, and uh, we've got a slough out back. You know, we're and uh, we're near the mountains. There's trees up there. Like there's no trees here in town. If you're familiar with Kotzebue, like you are now, you know, there's you look around. There's no trees, but there's plenty of trees up. It's good up, berry bushes. River. Lots of berry bushes. Lots of berry bushes, yeah. And we get, you know, we're we're far enough out of town. We get all the, we get all, we all nature's friends. You know, we've got wolves and bears and moose and and. Uh, Is that where your trap line's at? No, that's about where it starts. That that's where it starts, and then I go up the Noatak River or up into the Squirrel River, and uh, but I'm I'm 65 now, so I'm slowing down. I'm not. I'm not doing it near as hard as I used to. I mean, I used to be real, real uh, avid about it, and uh, um, and nobody, nobody enjoyed it more than I did. I mean, I really loved doing it because um, just the way I grew up. You know, I just had this passion for the outdoors and and to be out there and. And even seeing even seeing a pack of wolves and not not just going after them to kill them, you know. A lot of times I'd ride, I'd just ride right beside them and watch them. You know, it was just it's just uh, uh, it's not all about killing and trapping. It's it's just about enjoying and viewing what you you know what's there. Um, and then and, you know, and you're and getting back to the cold. You know, you're, you you get on a trip like that every weekend. You know, you get used to it, but you still you. I I would think many times coming home, this is the last time. This is the last year I'm doing this. I'm not. This is you know, what do I do this for? You know, but next year comes around and. It's just this drive, you know. It's just it's just like gears turning, you know. It's there's something turning them, 
and you can't stop them. They just, they just want to keep turning. You know, I, I can't quit doing it. Even at my age, you know, I, I, I think I'll do it until I drop to s at some point, you know, not not like I did when I was younger. You know, I, well, I won't do the 200-mile round-trip thing, but... but uh, You'll go out in the backyard, though, and check that trap. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, you fish every opening. I mean, you, you're, you're, you're aggressive uh, still. Before we go too far into the fishing and where you're at today, what made you get your pilot's license? Because again, you have a plane, you fly. Was it was it the remoteness here, or what what caused that? Is there a story there? Yeah, no story really. It's just another thing. You know, I've always my my main goal in life was always I've always told my my children and it was learn all you can learn you know and, and I've argued with my wife about this she wanted she wants me to sit and spend more time with the family and she you know which I would like to say yeah that's what I want to do I mean I do want to do it but there's just this drive that I see somebody do something and I want and if it looks interesting I want to learn it I'm going to learn it it's just going to happen, you know. It's just I see something that I, I you know, I, I just have this thing in me. I want to learn everything I can learn in this life. I love life, and I just want to learn everything that I can learn, even if I'm not the best at it. You know, I I still want to I want to do it. That's the gist of it, at the very least. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so I so I flew around with a few guys, you know, and and we went fishing way out in the boonies, you know, and here I am back with my childhood life again, you know, they'd fly me out there and we're in the middle of no man's land and I'm, and we're catching trout that are, you know, 20 pounders and I'm just going, man, this is, this is a blast. This is living. The, the, the plane became your new float tube. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Now all of a sudden, you know, I got to have one of these, you know, <laughs> And then I got to learn how to fly it, and you know, and of course you ain't gonna have one if you can't learn to land it. So, but uh, yeah, it, uh, that didn't come easy. That didn't come easy. Trying to find somebody to teach you how to fly up here is 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 tough. And uh, so the end result is you just teach yourself. You know, I was taxiing around and. Caught a gust of wind when I was taxiing around a little too fast, and away I went. Oh shoot! Now I got to learn how to land. It. Was that your first time in the air? That's, Is that, that how it happened? That was my, that was my solo trip. Yeah, it was. I had uh, about four hours of, of, uh, uh, instruction, and uh, my instructor was the one that actually said, "Boy, man, John," he says, "You, you, we, th I think you, you know, you're ready to, you're ready to." Start flying, you know. And after four hours. Yeah. After. He must have been a lot like your dad. <laughs> he was a young fella. <laughs> he was young, and uh, but he was a commercial pilot and himself and an instructor. And he uh, he just he saw the 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 drive that I had, you know, that I wanted to learn how to fly, and and I'd already I bought a plane before I knew how to fly, and want uh, and. Yeah, rest is history. It's just a, 
it, it all happened pretty quick. Oh, now I want to hear about it. Let's get into detail. Your taxi. Yeah, well, I was taxiing and and uh, it was just a little bit of crosswind and it and it I was ta I was kind of fooling around with myself, telling me I can do this, I can do this, and all of a sudden it just lifted up, and when it lifted up, it I was a little bit crossy, and I was scared to touch down again because I thought I'd lose it, and so I just firewalled it, and up I went. <laughs> <laughs> What's going through your mind at this point? Oh, brother. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that was, uh, it got a little hot under the seat. I remember I was pretty flush, and uh, I flew down the coast. I, I flew around for about three hours, I guess, just burning fuel. I didn't want to land with a bunch of gas on board. And uh, so I, I flew around and, until I was pretty late. And, uh, uh, and it was like 1 o'clock in the morning when I landed. I didn't want anybody around. When was I, that here in Kotzebue? I was here in Kotzebue, yeah. So what time of year was it? Was it daylight all the time? Because <laughs> it, it's that way up here. It's like... It was September. It was September, and it, it would get it was getting dark about 2 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I was so I was worried about that, too. I mean, it wasn't dark, dark, but it was... It was, it was it, the sun goes down, and uh, so I was just wondering when... I, I kept asking myself, well, when are you going to have guts to land? When are you going to have guts to land? You know, and I just, and then finally, I just, you just. Was you your just instructor know. there waiting for you still, or did he nobody, go home? Nobody. There was nobody on the runway when I landed. There was, uh, I never saw a car moving. I came in on the other end of town where nobody could see me, and I, I pulled up short. And you know what? That was probably one of the best landings I ever made to this day. Really? It was, I touched down and you, it was just so soft, you couldn't feel, you couldn't feel it touch. And, uh, and, uh, of course, the bolder you become, you know, you, you, the more aggressive you become and you put it down when you shouldn't put it down and, you know, you learn your aircraft a little better and, and, uh, but yeah, when you're, when you're scared to death and, you know, you take, you take all the precautions, yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's get back to the fishing side. So uh, did you start your real fishing career here in Kotzebue then, or where did it where did it start for you? No, it actually started, uh, well, I, I, yeah, I'd say it started in Norton Sound. I started herring fishing down there, and uh, that's when I really, that's when I knew that I was going to become a fisherman. And uh, I... Uh, I, I built a boat. I fished with my brother-in-law and a friend. And uh, which Mark? Um, which brother-in-law? Uh, no, Tony. Tony down there. I started fishing with with uh, Jim Tweedo to begin with down in Uniclete, and then for a year for the first summer, and that was while I was dating my my wife then we got married and then I fished with my brother-in-law Tony and and then I built my own boat after we were we were married and I started fishing for myself got my own permit 
and and started tendering because the boat was big enough to tender with I went down to the Yukon River and started buying fish with a fellow by the name of Jack Schulteis down there and then I brought it back up here and started tendering for a couple fellows who worked for Whitney Fidelgo and then by then I was into to fishing salmon up here bought a permit up here and uh, built myself a salmon skiff for up here and, and uh, been doing it ever since and been doing it ever since yeah so question I always have to ask um, is do you recall uh, your scariest moment and normally it's at sea being a pilot being a trapper being a father, um, a fisherman, do you recall your scariest moment that you've experienced? Hmm, well, I had to take some, I've had some scary ones. I've had some real scary ones. Um, crabbing, I had a, I had a bad one. We were in, uh, I was, we were in a 26 footer. Um, I had a couple friends with me and we were, we went out to pull pots. We were about 36, 30, about 36 miles from town. The wind kicked up. And we knew it was kind of windy, but we didn't realize what was going to happen. And uh, it kicked up to, it was gusting 40. I think it was blow, just blowing 36 to 38 by the time. And we turned around and, and, uh, that was I, I felt safe because I was in a good you know a good skiff but it was still and I you know I was at the helm so I I know what my capabilities are and uh, but it was still the waves were big they were probably close to 28 30 30 footers out there they were yeah they were big in a skiff yeah and they they were cresting I took one over the over the ass end of the boat that that was not good, but uh, but uh, still, it didn't. You know, just didn't didn't really dawn on me. We were coming, we were coming back, so we were going with the waves that really, you know, didn't dawn on me how bad it really was. But uh, yeah, but it was bad. I would never put anybody in that situation again. But. Uh, and then I was in an airplane one time. We we're coming out of Anchorage, going through Rainy Pass, and we hit a we hit a lenticular cloud at about ten thousand feet, going over going over the peak of some mountains. That was that was probably hands down the scariest moment of What's my life. What's a lenticular cloud? That's a that's kind of a cloud. that's uh this particular one was rotating it was uh, kind of like a sideways tornado it was you know it's it's a turbulent type of of uh, it's just turbulence and it's it was spinning kind of sideways like a, like a tornado and we were we were loaded pretty heavy in a 180 me and a, and a good pilot 
one of the best pilots I know, and I was so glad that I was with him. He uh, he 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 got us out of that. By you know just were, were you the pilot initially? No, okay, no, no, he was. No, he was he was flying. I was actually I fell asleep and on the way back, and I just happened to wake up, and we were about we were about a minute and a half away from that cloud and I, I was looking at it and I thought what the heck that's a weird looking cloud and I asked him I says Robert what's kind of what kind of cloud is that and he just he was just kind of focused on flying and wasn't really paying attention and and when he r realized that we were headed for this cloud he just he immediately turned banked we just banked out of it and I don't think it was probably 10 seconds later um, that plane was thrown around like uh, just, I mean, like a toy. It was just, I was looking at the wings. The wings were bouncing up and down. I mean, they were just, they were flexing like, like a piece of paper. It was just unbelievable. Our heads were banging on the top of the airplane. It about knocked the first time, about knocked me out. And, uh, Robert was a was a little guy, and his head was he was he had more room. I mean, we were strapped into our seats, and we were still banging up against the the top of the cabin. It was it was the uh, most frightening thing I've been been through. That's probably the scariest thing in my life. And I've been in wrecks. You know, I've wrecked snow machines doing seventy and vehicles. You know, and and nothing compared to the fear that I had that we were going down. And uh, on and that you know it was because you're visualizing it all before it's going to happen. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, I think we've all been in planes and thought, boy, that wing's moving a bit. But the way you're describing it is a bit beyond what we've experienced. And any pilot that's been through what I just explained knows what I'm talking about. It's it's uh, you feel it from your toenails to the tip of your head. I mean, it's just to the top of your head. It's just it's. It's scary, it's scary, and uh, Robert turned after we got through it. He 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 says, man, he says, he says if you'd have woke up, you know, ten twenty seconds later, he says we probably wouldn't have been here. You know, it was just, uh, it was that close. It was that close. Would you change anything about about your life? Oh, would I change anything about my life? Yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah, I'd. Have, I I think that uh, looking. I mean, I have enjoyed everything I've done, and I don't regret it. But I think that if I was going to do it all again, I would, because just for the single fact that you know I just recently lost a son, I I think that knowing what I know now. I would I would want to do something where I would had spent more time with my my children growing up. You know, mine was a pretty I don't want to say private life, but mine was a mine was a life of even though I, I you know, I supported my family real well and and, and it was hard getting started when we first came up here. 
you know, working for 12 bucks an hour and just trying to make, and you know, when your, when your rent payment alone is, is uh, 1400, 1500 bucks a month, and then you gotta buy stove oil and electricity on top of it and feed your family, it was hard to make a living. I mean, it was, it was just, it was absolutely paycheck to paycheck. And I think that's what got me working so hard throughout my life here was I learned real quick that whatever I could do after work was was just uh, you know better quality of living for the family and so I, re I regret putting my wife into a situation you know where uh, where I had to work all the time you know she took care of the kids like no mother has ever taken care of kids she's she's been the best mother that I can think of and uh, she she always wanted the best for the kids and and did a damn good job with them and it's you know I don't mean to make it sound like I didn't spend time with them I did I spent a lot of time with them but not as much as I I think that I should have I guess well, you, every day that you fish, you have your daughter with you, mm -hmm. right? I mean, she's always with you. And then Malcolm is fishing. Mm -hmm. He's a solo fisherman. Mm -hmm. He likes to go on his own. I asked him the other day, I said, uh, where's your crew? He says, I just do it myself. See, it'd be awful hard. He says, yeah, but somebody's got to get the work done anyway. It might as well be me. <laughs> so is he getting that from you? Isn't that, isn't that the values you've instilled in your children? Yeah, I don't know if you heard some of the stories, you know, when I first started fishing, I fished, I was a solo fisherman, I, I fished, of course I had a 26 foot skiff, and you know, if, if a guy can't handle a 20 foot, or a 25, 26 foot skiff by himself, you know, I had a roller in front and a roller in the back, and I just drove through the net if I had to, you know, if I couldn't handle it, I'd just start fire up the motor and, and use it for my other helper, and uh, but uh, fishing to me, commercial fishing to me was always easy. It was, it was good money, you know, it's hard, you know, if you want to put in the hours, you, you can make a lot of money. If you want to just be a lazy fisherman, then you're gonna make a little bit of money and not, you know, you know it's all what you put into it and how hard you want to push it. You know, if you want to, if you want to, if you, if you're not catching fish and you want you know you want to go look for fish then and find them and if you're too lazy to do that some guys will set their net and they don't they won't pull it the whole period man there's times i pull my net four and five times a, a day in an eight hour period you know i don't like doing it but you're not making any money sometimes and like the last couple periods you know that i've fished i'm just kind of going what the heck but there's it's just like this year there's no fish to find and and uh, um, I don't, you know, my daughter's really good about doing everything I ask her. I, I couldn't ask for a better helper on my boat than my daughter. She's, she's as good a help as I've ever had, ever. And I've had some of the strongest guys. My oldest son, he was, he's the strongest man I've, I've ever been around. I mean, ever been around. And he's, he was, she's no no worse than he was you know he was strong he could do all this stuff quicker maybe but but she's just she's just tenacious you know she's just, she 
I don't even have to ask her to do stuff. She knows exactly what to do. My children are all all uh, not raised fishing, but many times, many many times, they they wouldn't, you know, they'd sit on the beach screaming and hollering to mom that she they wanted to go with me, you know. So I'd put them on the boat and they'd watch. They'd watch the flounders flopping around the on the deck, you know, and and just sat there and giggled, you know, at that while so I was those, those fishing. So those weren't working moments. That was Those were moments spent with your kids. That was family time for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know. I'm sure it was for them. Yeah. If you asked them now, I, I would guarantee it was for yeah. them. My wife didn't consider it that. You know, she <laughs> said, you're working, you know. But, but uh, you know, that, that uh, yeah, we, and even my wife, you know, a lot of times, back in those days, she'd sit on the beach watching me. You know, and she's and still. I can always tell when you're going to be coming in, because she'll be parked down there with the grandkids. Uh, she'll be parked down there, and we're like, "Oh, John Ray must be on his way in," because <laughs> there she sits. Yeah, I've noticed that. I notice they're always there when I get there. Yeah, but uh, I figured you'd call them and said you were on your way. I don't. No, I don't. Because that it's them. like that kind of clockwork. Yeah. Yeah, my daughter. She might be texting them. Mm-hmm. I know she has sometimes. I don't know how often she does that, but uh, I don't pay attention. We, to the we can always tell when you're coming because uh-huh. she'll be parked down there. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's Anything nice. else you want to share with us, John? Oh, I don't know. It. Uh, Any good advice for for young Oregon guys that are thinking about running up to negative forty degree weather? Well, I still have friends down in Oregon. And I'll, I'll just close by saying that uh, they, when I go down there, when I go down there and talk to them, and of course they all got kids now, and some of the younger fellows, you know, they, they always ask me what what I'm doing up there, you know, and, and uh, they'd, like, they'd like to experience Alaska, you know. Common thought for people down in the States is Alaska's always frozen. You know, and it's not. When I show them pictures and they're going, gee, where's all the ice? And I go, there's no ice up there this time of year. It's just like summertime down here, you know. It's, it's you know, it's not 80 or 100 degree weather. No, it's more comfortable, right 70. I says, <laughs> I says, nice thing is up there. I says, you can, you can be walking around with a heavy shirt on. You're comfortable. You're not getting sunburned. You, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're you're not down here, you know. You got a t-shirt on, and you're miserable, hot, and sweaty, and and up there, you're just you're just body temperature, you know. You're just having having. I mean, sometimes it gets cool. You throw a light jacket on, you know, but there's nothing wrong with that. I'm comfortable up here, and uh, I I tell them that, and and you just see their eyes light up, you know. And man, if you ever need a fishing partner, you know, they'll say, or you know, gee, you're going. Bear hunting, yeah, they always ask me if I'm going bear hunting this year or sheep hunting, you know, and they all want to experience this, you know, even though it's just a little segment of their life, it's, they all want to experience that. And it just brings me to the realization that I'm blessed. I'm, I'm up here and I am, I'm, I've always thought that I've been blessed up here because I get to do all this and, and when I go down there, you know, I don't, I don't, I like listening to their hunting stories, you know, because it's something I don't get involved in anymore. And, 
and so when they ask me about it you know I tell them and just to watch their eyes light up and they're visualizing you know you know hiking up a hill after a sheep or or just mainstreaming streaming after after a grizzly bear you know the best way you can and because it's not something that everybody's gonna do you know try and track down it when you see a bear and try and sneak up on it that's something most people aren't gonna do you know uh, this this year for bear season you didn't get one but you said you had so much excitement you're trying to run it down with a four-wheeler <laughs> explain to me how no you felt like an 18 year old again I think it was I was on a snow machine so oh, I don't I don't remember the conversation very well I for some reason I remember I must have told you I was on a snow machine we were going to camp and and I was on one and and uh, he was close to close to camp so I I ran him off and uh, and we got into the trees and stuff and it, it gets exciting but uh, yeah, how you told me was I, I had asked you did you get your bear this year you said no but I had a lot of fun trying to <laughs> yeah yeah it was yeah I just had my 44 with me for one thing and uh, and uh, trying to ride with one hand you know, through the trees and getting stuck and cowboying him out. Yeah, it's just something you know. Some things you don't want to talk about. Oh, gotcha. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but didn't get him. Didn't get him. The one that got away. Mm -mm. It wasn't that big anyway. It was just. It was more of a. It was more of a just run him off type thing because I don't want him around camp. You get him a lot up there. Uh, not lately. We've had problems with bears and we learned you know they taught us how to deal with them and uh, um, we lock up we lock up pretty solid bottom line is if a bear does want in your place there's not there's very little you can do to 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 tell him no you're not you're not going in there because he will he He'll figure out some way. He'll tear your wall out. I mean, he'll. I've seen him tear the side of a cabin completely off, and I mean, pull the plywood right out, go in one wall and come and go. For some reason, who knows why, go out another wall. Not a window. I mean, we had him go through the door and through the windows, but I've. I mean to tell you, I've seen him where they've gone in a in a wall. And gone right through another wall. For who who knows why, they're just. That's where he wanted to go. <laughs> yeah, it's just they're like they're possessed or something. Who knows what yeah. it is? Okay. Anything else you want to share, John? No, it's fun talking to you. Yeah, and thanks for taking the time to share with us. Yeah, yeah. We'll be seeing more of you out there in the water. I'm sure. Yep, yep. So, all right, guys. Uh, this has been Galley Stories from uh, Kotzebue, Alaska, uh, in the Arctic Circle, uh, with Captain John Ray, and uh, we will see you next time. Hopefully not as long between episodes as it's been. Again, with this COVID thing, we have not been recording at all. But uh, we'll get back on the horse. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to Galley Stories. We hope you like what the net brought in. Please leave us a review on iTunes, whether you like it or not. We're not fishing for compliments. Look us up on Facebook and Twitter, too, and reach out to us at galleystories at gmail.com.